right. I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. You know what we have on the show today? We have Jeff Goldblum on the show today. You know, Jurassic Park, The Fly, The Big Chill for you old people out there like me. Uh, he calls in from Los Angeles from his bed. He's like literally lying in bed during this interview. Uh, kind of funny. Uh, we chat about his oatmeal breakfast routine, his childhood summer barbecues, and how he likes to try every single flavor of frozen yogurt. And after that, senior food editor and baking whiz uh, Claire Saffitz stops on by to talk about her recipe for one of my favorite things we've done all year, the Easy Sheet Cake with Chocolate Cream Cheese Frosting. That is the title of the recipe. Easy Sheet Cake with Chocolate Cream Cheese Frosting, and it's like rainbow sprinkles are not in the title, but they should be. Uh, and you can find it on bonappetit.com. It's sort of like a way-upgraded version of a box cake, and it is awesome. Before we get started, I have some very exciting news to share with you. We are doing our first ever live podcast. I repeat, live podcast event in partnership with Taste, a food-focused website from Penguin Random House. Uh, some great writing over there. Uh, it's going to take place here in New York City on Wednesday, June 6th at 6.30 p.m. at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Uh, we'll be conducting interviews with Angie Marr, chef owner of Beatrice Inn, Allison Roman, contributor to BA and author of Dining Inn, and Joya Moskin, New York Times food writer. Uh, and of course, there'll be stuff, all sorts of good stuff to eat and drink. Cocktails by Punch, food from Shuka, Mimi's Diner, Besu, and Dynamo. And tickets are only, get this, $25. And half of the sales go to Emma's Torch, which is a nonprofit organization that provides culinary training and job placement support to refugees. Uh, you can buy tickets by going to thebellhouseny.com. That is thebellhouseny.com. And clicking on the event or find the direct link in our Instagram bio. And don't worry, if you don't live in New York City or nearby, you can hear all the interviews later on on the actual podcast. All right. Let's do this thing. Here is me with Jeff Goldblum. All right, so you're in Los Angeles right now? I certainly am. I'm in my uh, house up in the Hollywood Hills oh. where I've been for 30 years, believe it or not. Do you make it out here much to L.A.? N not as often as I like, although this is my favorite time of year when it's just cold and crappy and rainy and dreary on the East Coast to land in L.A. And you're like, ah. Oh going to have lunch yeah. outside today. It's going to be nice. I know. I like it too, but but days like today, which are kind of still crispish, um, and after the rain, are like the clearest days of the whole year. So you can see from my house, you can see all the way to the ocean. Oh, wow. A little silver sliver of ocean. and No smog. Way behind uh, the cityscape uh, in the distance. Yeah, it's just uh, delicious. Uh, speaking of delicious, uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Hey, that's a good question. You know, I was feeling a bit, um, um, I, I think I know you well enough, a bit peaked mm. this morning. I don't know, my, you know, with kids in the house and everything. And we traveled <laughs> to Toronto recently, and I was in the Berlin Film Festival premiering this Isle of Dogs movie. So there was time change and all that stuff. So all of, uh, all of us were thrown off a little bit, and I'm still feeling the effects of something or other. I don't want to go into the details. But uh, this, so this morning I had to stabilize myself. With a little, a very austere oatmeal, mm. which I love to make uh, usually, and I liked it today. Boy, the, the warmth of the oatmeal is just, uh, you know, I'm very easy to please, actually, food-wise. How, and, how and do this you, morning, I, lo I loved it, yeah. How do you take your oatmeal? Well, take it, you mean, um, I, I, it, it's, it's in a bowl, and I put, you know what I do? I put it in a bowl, 
And um, and then I run from the island that we've got in the kitchen, the, the hot, hot water, the steamy hot water uh, faucet. I put some of that in, stir it around, put a little goat's milk in, Whoa. stir that around, put it in the microwave. This is also going to sound kind of primitive and probably horrible to you. Put it in the microwave for uh, two and a half minutes. And then when it comes out now, listen to this. I didn't do it today, but my wife, who's French, has a particular... Uh, has particulars in her appetites, and she found the best butter in Mm. Los Angeles, actually through my friend Jonathan Gold, who also confirmed that what she already knew about this French place where she got the butter, anyway, it was the best butter. So I like to put a little of that in. Can can I interject? Is it the the butter that comes in the gold wrapper, like this bigger than a hockey puck? Yeah, it's like a hockey. It's, it's circular and it's gold wrapper. You know the exact one. Yep. That is the best butter you can buy. Little flecks of sea salt in there. Yeah. Oh, she loves. She can't have bear uh, butter without salt. Uh, yes, that's it. That's the one. And I put it in there, and then I put a little more goat's milk on. And she likes to put like maple syrup on or something. I I I, I don't get so wild uh, <laughs> like that. I, I'm happy enough. And if I put a few fresh blackberries or blueberries and some walnuts. I'm very, very happy. Very civilized, but can I rewind the tape a little bit? You mentioned goat's milk. That's I don't think most people typically have goat's milk in their fridge. Yeah, well, it started, I'd, you know, I'd sampled it before in my experiment. I've always been an adventurous, experimental eater, so I think I tried every kind of milk, and I may have liked it or kind of liked it, but since the kids, I don't know, she got some information about that it was good for them somehow, so they've been drinking goat's milk in these last couple of years, and uh, so that's all we we have there, and I like it. Of course, my friend, I'm always susceptible to new ideas, sometimes the last guy I talk to, and I have a very reliable friend, very smart guy named Gary, and uh, he says he's been on this paleo sort of regime, which which doesn't include dairy of any kind, speaking of butter, and um, and 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 no no grains. You know what the key word there is, Jeff? Regime. It's like some totalitarian regime that's like telling you what to do and you have to obey them. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, I've already <laughs> gone up, but I mean, I've, I've lost a few, like a few pounds, several pounds in the last couple of days, and my whole body is sort of haywire. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's probably from that and this bug that I may have picked up uh, in my travels. But anyway, yeah, so I'm back to uh, – I that's why I drank the goat's milk today and uh, and all that stuff. So. I, no, I, I've heard it's quite good for you, and I have a friend whose mother has a farm not far from here in New York, and she has goat's milk. And every time I go visit there, she's always pushing the goat's milk on me. What about coffee or tea in the morning? Are you a coffee guy or tea guy? Well, that brings up an interesting issue. Um all through my life, I've done different things. Mostly, you know, I've enjoyed different kind of teas, of course, I can get into. I'm sure you know much more sophisticated and refined uh, <laughs> choices and, and this and that. But, I, I, you know, I, I get the idea. Uh, but it's mostly the caffeine that I used for so-called performance enhancement of one kind or another up until about three years ago, uh, for one reason or another, uh, I gave it up, and I'm so, and I'm very, very happy right now. It's personal, and I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. And even my trainer, nutritionist, so-called, said, "Oh no, three cups a day is good, and before you work out, and all that stuff." But nope, for me right now, absolutely pristine, no 
caffeine of any kind, which includes, you know, green tea even and black tea and certainly no coffee. And I'm just much happier coming as is. You wow. know, with a good night's sleep and some nutrition. Yeah, that's my that's my idea. Was it was it a was it challenging to just go cold turkey like that? Did you have a rough couple of weeks? No. No, I wow. didn't because mostly it wasn't a, I didn't have enough on a daily basis to affect my overall physiognomy, I believe. It was just this psychological crutch that I had before I would go, you know, would do something where I had to do something like this and be kind of otherwise you know, functional, <laughs> and I would think, hey, I gotta gotta have my coffee. Uh, I enjoyed giving that up. It was a final straw, and I, you know, it doesn't seem like much, and it really didn't have all that much effect on me. But I'm just much happier and sort of religious now about nope as is, no kind of superficial energy help. You know what I mean? You strike me as a type of guy that doesn't need a lot of energy help. <laughs> it seems like you, you often are, are energetic. Well, believe it or not, I don't know why, but but even on a day like this where I'm like, oh, boy, I hope I can do this whole day's <laughs> work. I'm going to do James Gordon's show today and da 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 uh, Where I'm like, hey, I'm going to – in fact, I'm lying down on my bed right now. But now that we're starting to talk and having seen you, having read about you and and seen this last – just a snippet of one of these podcasts, I saw you making – egg salad for three minutes just oh. now, about 10 minutes ago and i thought i'm just excited to talk to you and uh and here i am uh, you know spouting uh nincompoopery <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you did your homework I, I could talk eggs for a while how do you like your eggs well you know i had a, my, emily made me uh, some eggs that she was cooking up for the kids today these days well i like you know now that i saw just having seen that egg salad thing of yours that's all i want from life, if it's I were going to be good. executed, that would be now my last uh, <laughs> meal before I was executed. That looked amazing. I can't even believe what you do with an egg. Um, but you know me, I, like I say, I'm easy to please. What I do is, do they call it rustic eggs, whereby you crack the crack the egg in the pan? Mm. Got some nice pans and a nice stove, and then kind of drag it around with a wooden spoon. And it becomes a little white and a little yellow, you know. That is not all whipped up and whisked up before. Can I? Can I? I like it like that. Can I interject? That's how my mother makes her eggs, and that's how I started making my eggs. And the very first food article I wrote for GQ magazine, probably thirteen years ago, was about just this. You keep the whites white, the yellows yellow, and you taste that nice yolky flavor, and and you don't overcook them. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah, I like it like that. I can get a little squeamish when it's less done. If I have a, I had a soft-boiled egg the other day, and I, I want to kind of race through uh, that yolk experience. It's a little too yolky, and I don't know what that flavor is for me, but I, I, I don't want too much yolk. No. Like, I'm with you with this. I don't want it too, uh, you know, um, just, you know, crumbly either. I like a little bit of the, the yolk experience without the runny <laughs> runny experience or if the white is too soft and runny you don't want that clear part of the white no you don't you don't want to describe your eggs as mucilaginous um I, <laughs> nothing i i want i wouldn't want to describe anything as mucilaginous i feel like we should start a band called the yoke experience i like it let's go um <laughs> hey that's what i was going to say by the way if you're out in los angeles we play i play in a jazz band every week at a place called rockwell in los Feliz. And you're cordially invited. You'll be the guest of honor. In and fact, you, our band is playing Arroyo Seco, this uh, festival upcoming in uh, this summer. You play the piano. I certainly do. Question. All right. So I, I, I've read that you are not a big drinker. 
if you are performing, yeah. do you like to have like a cocktail on hand for almost theatrical purposes to sort of chat with the audience and take a sip of a, a bourbon or something? That's so funny. Um, n- no, I don't. You've heard me on the subject of performance enhancement, and and I, you know, decades ago, I I experimented with uh, booze a little bit to loosen me up, so called, and I, I, I can see why people did that for a while. It had a very short and finally uh, counterproductive uh, uh, impact. But uh, so no, I don't even do it. I don't even pretend to do it now. No, no, I, I I'm my own. I'm my own uh, cocktail. I come with my own cocktail in my in my eyes. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, my question is this: You, as a man, mid sixties, you are often cited as guy's got a great head of hair. He's in good shape. He dresses well. How do you stay so fit? Are you like yoga guy, gym fellow? Like, what's your what's your workout regime these days? Here's what I do. I've, I, you know, from my, from the beginning of my little life, starting long ago, I was energized, like you say. I don't know why, and so I was sportif as a kid and ran around all day. And then I like to play every kind of sport, and and so I became a kind of skinny, lanky kid. And then uh, around age thirty or something, just before around the big chill. 83, long before you were born, that kind of year, I started to work out and I got, you know, into the gym and trainers and sort of changing my physique a little bit and getting some muscles. And so I did that kind of religiously. I'm nothing if not conscientious and disciplined. So when I took that on, I did it regularly and didn't miss. And now it's sort of evolved into an also very regular, kind of even daily thing that I do where I do a little cardio for a while I was trying to get 10 or 12,000 steps a day but uh, now with the kids I've sort of not I'm not fo- as focused on that but I do try to get my little bit of cardio in with uh, a treadmill or a nice walk and then um, a kind of a routine of weights that mm. I myself have evolved <laughs> in a place that I can do on the road in a hotel gym and all like that. I won't bore you with the details, but it's kind of it's kind of like that. Although, if given half a chance, I would go outside and play every kind of thing. I like to throw a ball and, and hit a, a racket and do do any kind of thing. I like to play. Uh, I like the sound of all that. I was I saw Big Chill. I want to say when I was in eighth grade when that came out, and I remember at the time completely not understanding that movie i didn't i was like what's a midlife crisis what's divorce like all those subjects of that movie that was such an iconic film and i walked out of the theater i was like i I didn't get it i just don't understand it i feel like if i saw it now it would have a very different impact on me well that's the thing i was exposed too early to many movies that were too adult for me i remember my parents had a in pittsburgh had a uh I really liked kind of art, so-called movies, and so we saw, you know, I Am Curious, Yellow, and Elvira Madigan, and different things of that period. And I saw when I was uh, like 11 or 12, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And I thought, what? I had the same. I was like, what? This is very adult. Is this what adult life is like? You're like, I'm never getting married. (laughs) Yeah. And now, even when you see it now, it's got a little too adult for me. It's very complicated and... and, uh, it's, I don't know what's going on there exactly. Uh, ostensibly, this interview is pegged to our June issue, which is about grilling. Do you, do you and Emily ever fire up the grill? I assume you've got a backyard, this being Los Angeles and the hills and whatnot. We do have a backyard, and I should, more than I do and ever have, <laughs> get to grilling. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if I want to wear that apron or put on the big hat, but 
I really should grill because I I like to eat it. I like grilled stuff, and I'll bet there. Well, of course, I know that there are grilled connoisseurs. You know, there aren't there competitions. Oh yes, there's all that. Friends of mine. Oh yeah. Well, I I'm far away from that, but I I just need to learn how to use this thing that we've got back there and put the briquettes on and and put the lighter fluid on. I remember when we were kids. I loved we had, we did some of that in the backyard in Pittsburgh, and then they painted a shuffleboard court, believe it or not, on our on our you know cement little part <laughs> of the backyard because my parents had gone on cruises, and I guess they'd been exposed to shuffleboard. Anyway, we'd do shuffleboard in the summer, swim in the pool a little bit, and fire up the grill. So I love all manner of that kind of stuff, and I should do it. Are I you? Should, but actually, I, I, I haven't. Are you legally allowed to grill with charcoal in the hills in L.A.? Do you know? Hey, that's a good question. I don't know. I've got a couple of fireplaces in our house. I guess so. Kind of now. There's, for the last few years, there's just candles in them, and we put uh, we light the candles. Ooh, no more fire fires. That's yeah, nice. I don't think you're allowed to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, what are my options in the if I'm in the well gas? Or if I don't want to use briquette, gas gas grill, which I I kind of poo poo the gas grills because it's very hard to get a gas grill that will um, achieve the heat that a charcoal grill does. But it is. Yeah, safer in terms of embers and such like that, and and I know. Okay. I'm just saying, you know, safety, fire. We we got enough fires in LA at the moment, so I don't want to cause any more. What what is your um, uh, what's your favorite sushi place in Los Angeles? Ooh, you well may ask. I I adore sushi, and uh, I just went last week to Sugarfish. Mm-hmm. But I've been kind of a connoisseur because Sugarfish is the you know populist version and delicious version of um, Nazawa. You know, I think it even says the sugarfish by Nazawa. And I remember when the very strict uh, Mr. Nazawa was up uh, in the in Studio City, and I visited there, and he was like, he was the first one that I knew who went, trust me, and you know, no soy sauce, soy sauce, no soy sauce, and don't ask for California roll or anything like that, or make any request, or we're going to kick you out of here, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then there are many places that are, you know. Um, that, that have come from that. I went to Sasabune and the Sushi Park and to a lot of places like that. So, so there are a lot of good ones. But I now enjoy going with that same friend Gary, actually, who's on the the Paleo diet, except uh, when he eats with me and the rice and everything. And then we go have frozen yogurt down the street. That's his one uh, departure. Froyo, you're going yeah, for <laughs> Froyo dates? Yes, we do. We, yeah, it sounds very romantic. <laughs> what but we do? He's been. My, He's been my business manager and very good friend for a long time. And How- we meet out there in Brentwood and uh, and then walk a few blocks to the, to the frozen yogurt. How do you take your frozen yogurt? Well, here's what I do. I get a medium-sized cup, and then I go down the line, and anything that appeals to me, and it's different every time, about six or seven usually of them. Wow. Give me some, give, give me some, give me some favorites that you might throw on top. Well... It's, I like to be surprised, so it's usually something I've never tasted, like, I don't know, you know, cookie dough something or pistachio something else or, you know, anything that sounds kind of great. And and I just put a little dab of it. I just do that. I just hit the handle for a second. And so I, I come to the weight area, the scale area with just and the payment area with just, just a bunch of little dabs. It looks like a Van Gogh painting of, of some kind. Uh, starry night, and then uh, that's it. I don't put any of the toppings on, and uh, that's it. 
That's my, that's my, but you know, then I, then I spoon it and I go, you know, they all taste the same. The, the flavors sounded good and the pictures looked good, but I think these all taste pretty much the same. The, the Van Gogh of Froyo. Uh, I like that. A couple more questions before we get to our lightning round. Are you buying into this, this whole poke craze? Is the poke thing happening in LA like it is in New York? Yes, yes. I haven't done it where I'm a regular, habitual uh, uh, enthusiast. You know, I've gone here, there. I like it. I like it. But I don't know. I don't like this fish sitting around in yeah. containers. I feel it's like... Some of, you know, raw fish is very, you know, I wouldn't get it in the subway and I wouldn't get it at the airport and... And I don't think I like it sitting around and everybody spooning it out. I, I don't know. I I, 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 I question it myself. There's There's been such a proliferation of these places in New York. And you wonder, do they have the standards of a good sushi place? Or are they, have they sort of overexpanded? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if the yeah. poke thing is going to survive. Yeah, um, I'd rather go to a fac, go to a specialized, uh, you know, guy who's just bought the fish that morning and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Jeff, because I know you're a busy guy, you got kids and all that, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit you with the lightning round before we. Go. I love the sound of that. I love a lightning round. All right, so I like lightning. You know, I did that movie Powder, <laughs> and uh, out here in the West, you know, you never see lightning. Back in in Pittsburgh, we had thunder and lightning storms all the time. Yeah, I okay. like to even see lightning. Like yeah. in the in the summertime, yeah, you get those those storms of brewing. Uh, all right, we're gonna so, so either or questions. You have to choose one, and if you want to give a brief explanation, you're welcome to. Uh, but here we go. Ready? Yeah. Pirates or Steelers? Ooh, well. You know, uh, well, I would say Steelers right now, but I'll just explain a little bit. In my life, I was a Pirates Well, I was both. Both My dad had season tickets to the Steelers, and so we saw he and I went to uh, every home game for a while. And uh, even though I had a hiatus for a while in my uh, a passion for them in the last couple of decades, I don't miss a snap, and I'm just uh, I'm too inconsolable when they lose and wild with the delight and ecstasy when they win and all, all that too, too invested. So I, I would have to say Steelers, but I did have a, an experience with the pirates early on. I saw uh, with my own eyes, a uh, Roberto Clemente mm. play at Forbes field. And so I have very fond memories of the pirates. Boy, oh boy. And then I was in little league and, you know, I imagined myself, you know, a, a pirate or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nap or meditation? Oh, well, here's my, here's my uh, too elaborate answer. I would say, let me see, if I had to pick one, I would right now say, well, here, here it is. It's two, there's so two different issues for me, and I like them both. Meditation, which I was initiated TM style in 1973 or 4, I've sort of developed a sort of a meditation that's evolved, and I still have a mantra of sorts, but then I sort of got on to how meditation could be not any kind of particular practice, but a way of being aware and mindful, so to speak, at every moment of your life. So your whole life is a kind of a potential meditation, and that's kind of what I prefer right now, even though my recent um, uh, enjoyments have me uh, following science and Neil deGrasse Tyson. But that's not apart from, I don't think the wonders of the facts of the universe are apart from our magical awareness of the now. That's that's a little bit about that. Now, <laughs> naps, <laughs> naps are a whole different issue, and I love them. I love them, and uh, and I can't get enough of them. And uh, and a nap. And I disagree with these people who say 
oh, don't nap for more than blah, 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 whatever it is, 20 minutes. If you take an hour nap or two-hour nap, it'll just get you groggy. Nope, not for me. I may be a little groggy at first, but I perk up later, and it always pays dividends later. What is your optimal time for a nap? How long? However long my body wants to, and it's different on every day. However, the 10 minutes, 20 minutes, two hours, they're all delightful. <laughs> okay, brown rice or white rice? Well, well, well. Very interesting. You know, I go, I read a little bit here and there, not as much as you do, and I'm not an expert. And, and I, over the years, you know, as, as you know, I, from what I gather, wise minds, you know, veer wildly all over the highway from one year or month or day to another. And sometimes they tell you what's good for you is white or no, now it's brown. And so I usually like to do what's good for you. But if it's just a matter of entertainment, Mouth entertainment, I would say uh, oh, sticky white rice or all different mm. kinds of white rice. I like brown rice and it can be done wonderfully. But if it's just if, if, if we're not talking about what's good for you, and I don't even know what is nowadays, as I say, um, I would say white rice is pretty uh, delicious. I think, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you on that one. Uh, Life Aquatic or Grand Budapest? Well, here, here you go. This, the, the only answer to this is that you cannot uh, choose amongst the great Wes Anderson's movie. They're, movies. They're all masterpieces, including wait till you see this thing that I just saw for the first time that hardly anybody has seen yet, uh, Isle of Dogs. Yes, I'm very excited about that. Oh, my God. He's outdone himself with this. And wait, it's a work of art uh, extraordinaire. I think it's really a, uh, a masterpiece. I'm proud to be in that. So... And any of those ones that I've been in, certainly, and I'd, I'd say all of them are, uh, you, you just can't prefer one over another. They're all, you know, uh, gems. Grilled whole fish or grilled ribeye? Oh, uh, well, here, here's the problem. I, I, I'm not even sure what a ribeye is, probably, because <laughs> in the last, in decades, I've probably only gone, oh, give me a filet. I've gone for the lean meats. So I go to a restaurant and I say, oh, give me a filet. Or I say, give me that, whatever the difference is between a skirt steak, a baseball steak, a London broil, and all, all that stuff. Because that's supposed to be lean, too. And that's a different kind of tougher thing. But So I go with the lean things. But I'll tell you, I, I ordered in from Pache the other day. Uh, I shouldn't probably mention the oh, thing because ahead. it was a bad experience. I got a New York steak. I ordered a New York steak. And I, I found it inedible. It's hardly any. I'm even having trouble cutting it up and giving it to to Woody the poodle. Well, I mean that's one of the that's one of the old rules, Jeff. Never order a New York steak in L.A. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I went to Peter Luger's once with uh, with uh, some people, and I remember that was a greasy but uh, an entertaining experience. Yes. But anyway, so, uh, now whole fish has other problems. I'm a person who's anti bones. Ah, yes. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to see the eyeball. I don't want to have to <laughs> cut the head off. Nor do I want to start picking bones out, especially like out of a trout with the fine bones or anything like that. I don't even want to do any kind of work. So, so you know, uh, it's delicious. It can be delicious. Both of those things, I'm sure. But uh, I'd opt out of either one of them. I don't know. <laughs> um, beard or stubble. I've had them both and had them both recently in the upcoming Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. 
I appear as Ian Malcolm with a bit of a beard. Um, what is your uh, wife like? Nowadays. Huh? What does Emily prefer? She prefers by far clean, clean shaven. Oh. Yeah. She wants me absolutely clean like like Charlie Ocean's belly. She she wants me clean like a like a like a like a, like a bowling ball. That's what she would like. <laughs> But I don't like to shave every day. Even, you know, once a week would be okay. But I don't even like to do that for looks sake because um, it hurts if I have to do it every day. And I know there's a whole that's a whole other subject. I've tried to solve that problem, but I've never found a solution. So I like stubble these days. And even for the look of it, right now I'm about to I'm do this James Corden show and be on camera. I have a four, I'd say a three-day stubble. Mm. It's my ideal stubble right yes. now. Perfect. Yeah, because yeah. after a week you have a beard. Too soon. It's yeah. like just it's not enough. What can I if I may inquire? What are you going to wear tonight? What am I going to wear? Oh, for for the show. Question. Yeah, for the show. What are you going to wear for James Corden? I'm going to wear starting from the bottom to the top. I'm going to wear a um, a Saint Laurent two tone white and black uh, loafer. Mm. A black sock. The new Prada suit, which is made out of a techno material it's black it's kind of shiny it's got stretch in it and it's um i love it it's kind of my favorite suit right now and then prada uh gave me this um polo shirt Ooh. but it's very elaborate it's a kind of a navy and gray a little kind of a patterny kind of thing you you'll, you'll see it it's a new if you go to their site you know you'll you'll find it it's a nitty thing that I really like. And then, ah, that's about it. That's probably what I'll wear on the show. I may take the jacket off so you see the polo shirt more yes. or keep the jacket on. I'm not sure where it's. What about eyewear? Ah, Jacques-Marie Maj. Is that the name of it? I've got a glass. Oh, here, I have them right here. Wait a minute. Let me see. Yep, it's called Jacques-Marie Maj. I was given these frames at a GQ shoot, as a matter of mm. fact, by the very generous people who were styling that and then i got my prescription in it so it's my go-to and favorite glasses right now oh it's a delightful glass <laughs> a couple of uh, of original but uh, nostalgic vintagey kind of hinges on both the front and the side i love them uh final final wardrobe question before my before my food loving listeners get annoyed with me did you consider not wearing socks with the outfit or were you always like i'm definitely wearing socks with the loafers I tell you this, um, I have gone through periods where I have gone sockless. Tonight, no. I'm in a period right now where my current thinking and the person with whom I work, who I found at GQ, as a matter of fact, the great and brilliant Andrew Vitero, he and I, our current thinking are socks, socks, socks. I don't like, I don't like it without socks so much. Uh, there was never a, a question of this outfit. Because then socks... I mean, the, 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 the no sock, there's the question, how about the, then you got to wear those little socklets, mm -hmm. you know, yep. which I never got very good with, and, you know, so it's a whole other issue for me, but, uh, and then, of course, my ankles and my, my shins uh, are now, at this stage, kind of losing their hair. Oh, yes. And some of the, sometimes when I bump my shins, the bruises stay around longer than I would have thought possible. I've got kind of bruised shins and hairless shins. We can't have that on national television. I don't think so, because when you sit down on those chairs, 
Everything looks like shoes and ankles, you know? <laughs> All right, Jeff, final question. Butter yeah. or olive oil? Ooh, well, you know, in these last few days with Gary's uh, tutelage, I've gone away from the butter and gone with the olive oil. But if it were up to Emily, French Emily, my wife, it would be butter, butter, butter. We've talked about her favorite butter. So if I had to say right now, I mean, I love olive oil for different things, but for cooking with, you know, I like butter if I had my druthers, you know, I like butter. All right. How about you? Uh, I Butter for flavor, but in terms of, yes, day-to-day, I, I use far more oil, olive oil in my cooking than I do butter. So I'm gonna, if I now had they, to, I'm going to go olive oil. I see. Now, they say that, that olive oil, a lot of, you know, what you buy isn't even olive oil, right? A lot of these people are giving us a uh, fasteris. There's a lot of, yes, there's a lot of imposters in the olive oil world and fraud, and it's like a whole, a whole thing. Meanwhile, Jeff, we're going to let you go, but I, I feel like I need to get Gary on the podcast. I got to meet this oh, guy. You certainly do. Oh, he'd be—he's he, a fountain of uh, entertainment and knowledge. That's right. All right, Jeff Goldblum, thank you very much for joining us on the BA Foodcast. I can't thank you enough. It's the best time I ever had in my whole life. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jeff. Ready, Claire? Ready. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a little while. Uh, always good to have you back. We are talking about one of your dessert recipes. Yeah. Can I can I say something? Yeah. I feel like we go to restaurants these days and like the desserts, you have like a swoosh of labna, you have some fermented something, you got some crumble. And all we really want is vanilla sheet cake with chocolate frosting. I totally agree. If like no one was looking, that's what we would all order. Yeah, that's the dessert you want to eat. I feel like there's a general trend that I've been seeing in restaurants toward more savory desserts. And in some cases, I've tried desserts where it really pushes it, I think, a little too far. It's like dessert still needs to be sweet. There's st- you still want that thing when you're done eating that, like, to me, a sweet finale to a meal cue is like, okay, you're done. And if the dessert is too savory, I'm just like that. I just now I need another dessert. Like, it's not it doesn't quite um, like put a period on the end of that. But I also just love I love cake. I'm a cake person. So let's talk about this recipe. So first of all, it's on our Basically website, eatbasically.com, and it's called Easy Sheet Cake with Chocolate Cream Cheese Frosting. First question, why did you develop this recipe? We um, Basically, we don't have any cake recipes. Uh-huh. So this was going to be a recipe for the novice baker, someone who's never made a layer cake in their life, um, to be able to make a really delicious, approachable, simple cake that could, you know, it could be the cake that you bring to a potluck, it could be the cake that you make for a friend's birthday party, just to serve dessert, you know, for a dinner party. It's kind of like an all-purpose, really approachable recipe for someone that doesn't bake a lot and also like doesn't have a lot of, uh, doesn't have three nine-inch cake pans yeah. to make a layer cake, which is kind of fussy and uh, annoying. So this is all done in a 13 by 9 pan. Um, and it's just, you know, so it's just a sheet cake, just a single layer, and then you frost it in the pan. So it's really, really easy. And you don't have to get into all of that sort of like construction architecture of putting together a layer cake. But it is so good when you were testing this in the test kitchen. Even like, even, all right, the frosting is bananas, but, and I'm not actual bananas, but like bananas good. Um, but even the cake, when you smell that like yellow cake coming out of the oven, you're like, oh. And you go over there and you're testing it and you're like, all right, I'm just going to break off a little piece. And then you break off another piece. And then you're like five pieces in and you're like, okay, well, now I need like to make a cup of coffee. Right. Or a glass of milk. Or a glass of milk. I think the milk requires a chocolate frosting. Like if just the vanilla cake, then I'm thinking coffee. Mm-hmm. 
So, but let's talk about that cake because you do and you employ an interesting technique, which I think sounds more complicated than it is, just because that you are want to make things sound very like scientific and intelligent. Uh-huh. <laughs> talk about the technique you make, you employ, yeah. to make this basic vanilla cake. Yeah, this is really the simplest method for mixing a cake I think out there. I think possible really to get a good result. So. Most cake recipes start with the, they use what's called the creaming method. So it starts with you take room temperature butter and sugar and you beat it together in a mixer. So this requ- that requires- And it gets kind of like pale pale yellow and fluffy. Right. That's working air into the butter and um, that's kind of what they term mechanical leavening. So when you work air Ooh. into the batter, it is what the See, air See, again, expands. you're making it sound smarter yeah, than it is. It's technical. <laughs> I remember when you were a kid, like your mom would be creaming butter and sugar. You're like, you would just reach your finger in there. Oh, yeah. Just butter and sugar. You're like, oh, yes. <laughs> Still a really good combination. <laughs> and so then you add your eggs and your dry ingredients. So this kind of f- turns that on its head and it uses, it's really based on a method that was pioneered by the sort of doyen of cake baking, Rose Levy Berenbaum, who wrote the Cake Bible. The Cake Bible yeah. back in the 90s, I want to say. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was like the book to buy back yeah, then. Yeah, it still is kind of yeah. like the cake book. So she developed this method where you start with the dry ingredients in the bowl first rather than the butter. So the dry ingredients being what? Flour, mostly. And it, usually you see cake flour. This recipe uses all-purpose flour, so okay. it's just a little, you know, it's just an easier thing to find and something people really have in their pantry already. Uh, you know, the leavener, baking powder, baking soda, salt. Um, that's really it for dry ingredients. And then you add to that. No. What, what am I forgetting? You say, didn't you say you put sugar in? Sugar counts oh, as the a dry sugar. ingredient. So technically, time? sugar is a wet ingredient because mm-hmm. it's hydroscopic, but it does go <laughs> with Stop the. Stop with the big words. <laughs> yeah, so sugar goes in with it too. So even though it is in cake making considered a wet ingredient, it goes in with the flour. Correct. Then you add fat. So in this case, this. Cake recipe uses butter. So, so you just blend them together. You need to use a mixer or just sort of like mix them up with a fork or whatever? Um, you can do a hand mixer. You huh. could do this all by hand. It's just going to take oh, a lot okay. longer. But I'm saying the dry ingredients just need to be sifted together. Yeah, yeah. just whisk it. Yeah. I, we don't, I haven't sifted anything in a very Not, long okay. time. But Wrong yes, word, just, yes. But just whisk together, break up any clumps. Um, and then you add the fat, so butter, and a little bit of liquid. So what's happening is, so the enemy, when you, okay, backing up, you want cake to be light and fluffy and tender. That's the, that's the desired yeah. result. Who doesn't? Right. So what you don't want is to develop gluten. So gluten is something that, it, gluten is a result of mixing flour, which has protein in it, two proteins. Do you want me to get really nerdy? It's glutenin and gliadin. Well, Adam is looking at well, me like... Yeah, <laughs> have a bacon show. <laughs> right. Anyway, just know that gluten is what happens when you mix flour, wheat flour and water, and it's these like long strands that yep. make bread chewy. It's you know it's the enemy of cake making, basically. But it's good if you're into bread or pizza dough and stuff. Yeah, if you yeah. want it to be chewy, yes. sure. But in this case, we don't. We want something more tender. So anyway, so when you take fat and you mix it with the flour, it kind of coats the flour uh, and then it once you add water to it, it prevents that gluten from forming. Oh. So reverse creaming is a great method because you basically end up sort of working the fat into the dry ingredients, which protects against gluten development later on. So it's hard to overmix. So this cake really results with, with sort of like fewer steps and um, more of this sort of like mix everything together kind of approach. It really results in a very tender cake that's kind of hard to mess up. So one bowl, stand mixer or hand mixer. Yeah, either one. Dry ingredients first. You add... Talk to me about room temperature butter. Yeah, in this case, you want room temperature butter not melted. You, I've tried it with melted cooled butter. It doesn't quite do the same thing. Um, but you want room temperature butter because you want to be able to work that butter into the flour without it. And you want it to sort of like sp- spread out and coat the flour. And if it's cold, it just doesn't really work. 
I feel like I'm making everything unnecessarily complicated. But if you're making biscuits, you want cold flour because you want those little pebbles of butter to stick together so when they do melt while baking, they create those air pockets, right? Yeah, that's for something where you have like a crispy, flaky. Or a pie dough. Or pie dough, right, same thing, sort of crispy, flaky texture. In this case, you're working the butter all the way into the flour mixture because you want that really even, fluffy, what we call crumb. So when everything is mixed together, it looks like a basic cake batter, kind of pourable or? Yeah, so you add, you work in the butter. This recipe also has a little bit of vegetable oil in addition to butter, not for flavor. It just keeps things really moist. So this cake really kind of improves over time. It doesn't dry out. Um, And it also has buttermilk. So buttermilk is a little bit of a fussy ingredient, but it really does make a big difference in cake making because the acid in the buttermilk makes it more tender. I have a question. Yes. Going slightly off topic. I was making your BA's Best Fried Chicken Sandwiches. Uh Uh-huh the other day because Marwan wanted them for dinner on Sunday night. Uh, and you have to sort of, not brine them, but kind of brine, whatever, soak them in buttermilk and hot sauce. What am I supposed to do with the rest of that buttermilk? But why, why do they sell me, like, I don't want 32 ounces or whatever. Why can't you just sell me, like, a, like a pint, a quart? I'm mean, not a, port, a quart, like a pint or a half, like a cup, eight. like eight ounces. I can buy, <laughs> uh, like, you know, heavy whipping cream in these little containers. Why do they sell me so much buttermilk? Hey, I, Adam, you'd have to talk to the dairy companies. I don't know. It's ridiculous, you, right? You, you, They're you, just trying to get rid of it. You can only get a quart. Which is absurd. I don't yeah. need a quart of I'm not like some like old timer drinking buttermilk for breakfast every morning. Well, interestingly, a lot of buttermilk is not true buttermilk. No, we, it's not the true byproduct yeah. of butter making. It's just acidulated like skim milk, basically. <sighs> So am I supposed to make salad dressing with it? What do I do with oh, it? Oh, you mean like the stuff that's left over in the quart? Yeah, I, I have like, like I have like 30 ounces left over or 26 ounces. What am I supposed to do with all that buttermilk? I thought milk? you meant what do you do with the brine? I was like, Adam, no, that's, you got to no, get I rid get, of that. No, I'm saying, <laughs> no what, what do you do with the, the rest of your quart of buttermilk? Make a little ranch dressing. Okay, ranch dressing. So Does like, Marlon like ranch? Who doesn't yeah, like ranch? Yeah, who doesn't like ranch? Yeah. So it's like some dried, like, dried spice sort of stuff. Yeah, you can do some chives, yeah. a little garlic powder, onion powder, mm-hmm. a little sour cream. Okay. All right. There you go. All right, so all right, all right, back to cake. Okay. Right, so the so you add some buttermilk, so yeah. that's the wet ingredients and the eggs. Um, and really, once you have all the ingredients incorporated, you can, you kind of beat it for you know about a minute or so, and it really turns into surprisingly like, an extremely light and fluffy and sort of silky-looking cake batter. How do you know once you've beaten it enough? With this recipe... It's more about like timing. You want to actually one of the risks with this recipe is you don't develop enough gluten. That so you still need some gluten to provide structure to the cake. Okay. Um, this cake is all baked in one layer, so it's actually not as important. But you know, if you were baking something much taller, it's like what would happen if you didn't develop enough gluten is the cake would actually collapse and kind of fall because it doesn't have enough structure to support itself. So what you're just trying to do once you've added all the ingredients together is develop a little bit of gluten. But you know it's ready when it looks light and fluffy and really smooth and it kind of has this like satiny sheen to it. Mm. All right. So you've got a 13 by 9 inch pan. You've buttered that. Mm-hmm. And you just pour the batter in there? Yep. All everything, Everything into the pan. Then into the oven? Into the oven. And so we d- we tested this recipe with a glass, like a Pyrex 13 yep. by 9, which I think most people have. Uh, Maxine Rapport's got a lot of those. Uh-huh. And then um, and also a metal 13 by 9. I preferred to bake in metal, a light-colored metal, like an aluminum. Um, those darker nonstick pans tend to encourage a lot of browning really fast ar- around the bottom and sides because huh. um, it just is like reflecting all that heat. Um, and then glass also... Uh, tends to do the same thing because even though it takes longer to heat up, it retains that heat a lot better. So you tend to get a lot more browning, the same thing on the bottom and sides with glass. Um, 
So, but this recipe works either way. Uh, it's just that you might get a slightly more even result if you bake in metal. All right. What temperature in the oven? This goes in at 325. 325. Make sure your oven is fully heated. Yes. People are always trying to put it in there before it's all the way heated. Yeah. The first step in every basically recipe that uses an oven is preheat your oven. Pre-oven. Yeah, but see, that's the first step in every recipe, and then you just ignore that. And you're like, oh, got to turn the oven on. I got to, yeah, I'm just putting it in. What about, which I never quite understood with cakes, where in the oven do you put it? All the way, lower rack, middle rack, top rack? Like, where do you, you know what I mean? Nine out of 10 cases for baking, it's always the center. Okay. Always the center position of the oven. And that's just because you're getting sort of equal heat radiating from all sides. The only instance where I would put something either on the top or bottom is if you want some browning to happen on either yeah. the top or bottom. So like a pie, a fruit pie, I would put on the bottom rack because it's that heat radiating from the oven floor that's going to cause more browning on the bottom. So, And then, you know, in, in the case of maybe like a crumble, if you were trying to get the top to brown, yeah. you can put on the top rack. But almost in all cases, just always center rack. Okay, so it says to bake for like what, forty minutes or something, or thirty-five, or I don't even know. I'm not uh, let me quick consult the recipe. Yeah, it says oh, forty-five to fifty-five minutes. That's pretty close. Okay, so all right, for, it, it's like, and at this point, I'm like, is it done? I don't know if it's done. I don't want to take it out. It's gonna be all wet in the middle. I don't want to overbake it. I, I start panicking around forty to forty-minute mark. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, there's a lot of really good, helpful tips for when to tell if your cake is fully baked. One is the smell. Like it's not gonna smell and all of a sudden you're gonna your whole kitchen's gonna smell like yellow cake. That's a good indication that it's getting close. Um We should make yellow cake scented candles. You know the thing about like if you're trying to sell your house, oh yeah, you bake, bake something. Yeah. This would be a great thing to bake because it yes. really does make the whole kitchen smell. So a couple things you can just First of all, look at it. There should be sort of a nice golden brown tone to the surface. Yeah, but I think you have to know your oven. Like for whatever reason, my oven not going to mention the brand like it's like top heavy if like more of the heat comes from the top than the bot so a lot of mm-hmm. times things get done on top before the thing is done uh-huh and i'm oh, there you s- go. i'm beginning to realize this do you have a top rack where you can put like a sheet tray on it to help disperse oh, the heat you can do that mm-hmm. that's brilliant so, a- so it won't get burnt on th- wow fascinating yeah, okay a really terrible oven mm-hmm. um in my apartment and so i went to like lowe's or home depot or one of those and i bought unglazed like um, outdoor, yeah. like tile, yeah. uh, ceramic tile, and I put them on the floor of my oven and in the very, very top because all the heat, the heat element in my oven comes from the bottom. It's like where the broiler is, so this is just helps to radiate heat like more evenly out. Wow. Um, so that's a nice little oven hack. But yeah, so if you know your oven, it like you know if you a good test is if you bake a tray of sugar cookies, you can tell from where they how they brown differently depending on their position on the sheet like where your oven has hot spots so that's why it's a good idea to rotate the cake also halfway through cool we're 45 50 minutes in how do we test if it's done yeah so one is in addition to just golden brown to give it a little poke on the top sort of press your finger gently onto the surface it should spring back so it should be firm and you know obviously if you look into the oven and it looks kind of like gooey and shiny in the middle and you shake it and it wobbles, mm. you're not you're not even close. I mean, 10 more minutes at least. Yeah. Um, and then also a cake tester, which you don't need an actual cake tester. You can use a toothpick or even like a very thin paring knife. And that should go into the cake and come out clean. So no no crumbs, no wet batter, no streaks or anything like that. And at that point, you're, it's done. It's done, yeah. Take it out. Test, test in the center of the cake yeah. too. When you take a cake out like this, do I let it sit for a while in the pan or do I immediately flip it over onto a cooling rack? Like, what are you supposed to do? Well, this recipe, we ice it in the pan. So it just oh, cools the whole, time the whole time in the pan. And that's why I think metal's a little better is because it cools down a lot faster than Pyrex. So it won't, 
really you're not really at as much as big of a risk of overbaking it. Um, but this this just you know you're gonna leave it in there, and that's what's nice because you can really bring it with you. Like if you have it in one of those glass Pyrex 13 by nines that has the handles on it, it's like all you have to do is put a piece of um, foil over it, and it's ready to go. Okay, so all right, you obviously you want it fully cooled, which I know a certain wife, I won't mention her name, Simone, um, like always ends up making a cake too late in the process. Like I'm like, Simone, people are coming over at seven. I don't worry, I can get it done. Mm -hmm. And so then she always ends up like frosting the cake when it's still a little bit warm. And that's not- And it just slides around. Yeah. The problem is most frosting is made of butter. Yes. And butter obviously starts melting at like body temp, so. Okay, let's start. Let's talk about the butter because it's a cream cheese chocolate butter, which I'm just like, ooh, yes. Yeah. So I really love frosting. Well, That's, I mean, obs. Right. No, but some people are like, oh, I like the cake, but not the frosting. And I'm like, we should eat a piece of cake together because I'll just eat the frosting and you can eat the cake part. I think that, you know what that is? Everyone loves the frosting, but like when you get to a certain age, you're like, I shouldn't be eating all this frosting, you know? It's like a guilt thing. So you're saying, mm-hmm. but you still want to eat all the frosting. Uh, okay, good. So yeah. they're just lying is what yes. you're saying. Okay. Yes. Well, I feel better. Um, but I think the challenge with frosting, and there's a whole baking realm around frosting and so there's all these different terms and styles of so usually we they're all kind of variations on buttercream we talked about this in the kitchen the other day you and i and it gets confusing with like swiss meringue or italian mm-hmm. meringue and what temperature the melted sugar i'm like yeah i hope this one's easier yeah so they're like european butter styles of We're, buttercream i don't even want to get into that well hold Too- on let me just let me just say i'll, I'll explain what it is and then we can just not talk okay. about it after that but those are based on meringue so it's like whipped egg whites and sugar and you add butter to it and it's an emulsion and it's a really con- it's sort of a technical process. And for basically, we were like, that's not, we're not going to ask no. our readers to make that. And, you know, it does require a stand mixer. So we wanted to do a variation on what's called just American buttercream, which is like, that just means like sugar and butter. That's <laughs> the American style. The problem with American style buttercream is it's often just very, very sweet and very rich. Because and it's very just, buttery. Yeah, yeah. It's I've done that before. And sugar. You're like, wow, this tastes like butter. Yeah, butter and sugar. So the challenge here was to um, try to you know, add substance and, and, and create something with a nice texture without adding so much richness and sugar. So we added cream cheese and also and cocoa powder, which is great because it's unsweetened. Okay. Um, it blends seamlessly into the ingredients um, and it sort of counterbalances all of that sugar. So it's a mixture of room temp butter and 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 cream cheese yes cocoa powder any melted chocolate no melted chocolate just cocoa powder which is nice because then with melted chocolate there's a temperature issue like chocolate's a difficult ingredient to work with um and you know so it would have to be melted and then cooled and that takes a little while cocoa is just something you can pull out of your cabinet and cocoa doesn't have added sugar so um unlike most chocolates so it's nice because i think it it really is the best thing to add those really chocolatey bitter notes to b- help balance out the icing, so it doesn't you don't just feel like you're eating sugar. What's awesome about this recipe is that you get these every step of the recipe is a little mini video, and at the end you see is this you or is this a different person who actually did the video? I think it's oh, Rhoda. Rhoda, okay, yeah. from Epicurious, and just like the swirling of this big blob of cake frosting with a spatula going whoosh, whoosh, yeah. whoosh, whoosh, like a surfer or something. And you're like, I could watch this for like four days. It's very straight. satisfying to watch. And then at the end, 
I'm just like, I'm looking at it now and I was like, I literally can't stop. It's like one, like some meme, like you're a kid watches and you're like, oh. <laughs> um, at the end, what I love about this cake is that you hit it with like the confetti sprinkles. Oh yeah, I love sprinkles. Was, was that just a no-brainer or are you like, oh, this needs a little zhuzh? I think it just makes it so fun and festive and I think it's really cueing people to the idea that this is a great kind of celebration cake for any, any occasion. Um, I don't know, I think it makes it a lot more fun. Something you could certainly put candles on and and you yeah. know bring to a friend's birthday party. You're trying to say for kids of all ages? For kids of all ages, exactly. God, I'm looking at this, I can't stop looking at it. <laughs> now it's getting cut into little squares. It's uh, a pretty tall cake, like the profile's pretty high. So it do, I think it does actually have good, you know, unlike a layer cake where it's a lot of frosting, it's kind of nice that you have that sort of the it's different a, it's proportion. It's a nice balance. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. It's like sometimes the frost, it's not the, it's the balance of like cake to frosting. And sometimes with the different layer, yeah, you get two, more frosting than you need. Mm-hmm. Any parting words that we should uh, think about before we make our easy sheet cake? Um, well, I would just say for people at home, some good tips are you can, you can make the cake part in advance and the frosting actually. Um, but with the frosting, you just want to let it come to room temperature okay. for like many, many hours before you use it. So it becomes spreadable again. And just keep, I don't like to refrigerate cakes. I think it does, doesn't need it. And it kind mm. of, it's like, it takes all the butter that's in the cake and it kind of makes, firms it up and then it changes the texture and it almost goes kind of dry. Yeah. Also, there's nothing, then also the frosting turns into like butter-like texture, and get hard, like hard butter and that's yeah. not good. Yeah. We had this cake when I was testing it in the kitchen for like five days and people just kind of like kept like savagely taking sort of like with their hands pieces from it and so I can tell you five days later people were still eating it and <laughs> enjoying it so and, it'll and, be fine and no one died right <laughs> uh Claire Saffitz thanks as always thanks Adam the Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.